turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19. Um, I will warn you, you will not end in Exodus chapter 19. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about the tabernacle in the next in our sort of series uh, of this overarching story of the Bible, this story of redemption. Why does Jesus have to come? Why couldn't we solve this? What is the problem? Why couldn't we solve it ourselves? What What's going on? And today we're going to look at another really significant milestone in that story, another major plot point, if it were, and that's the tabernacle. So remember what happened. First week, God makes the world, puts Adam and Eve in it. Everything's great. Next week, I mean, that's the setup. Next week is the problem. The world is God's. He gives Adam and Eve charge of it, but it's not theirs. They don't own it. It's God's world. It's his rules and they won't abide by his rules. And so there is a a breakdown, a rupture between God and mankind. They're separated, whereas they used to walk together in the garden, we're told. God and Adam would walk and talk. Now they're separated. In fact, there's an angel with a flaming sword. Nobody's going back into the presence of God. But then last week we talked about Abraham, that God shows up and, and starts talking to a man, starts telling him things, starts promising him various things. We talked about this amazing incident where God makes a covenant with Abraham saying, I will do these things for you. And you expect Abraham to pledge loyalty and to pledge that if he doesn't keep up his end of the bargain, terrible things will happen to him. And instead it's God who says, if you don't keep up your end of the bargain, terrible things will happen to me. And we see Abraham doesn't keep up his end of the bargain. I mean, he's like this. Sometimes it's just incredible faith and incredible obedience. And then, wow, not so much. And then he's up and then he's down. Exactly what God said was going to happen ends up happening. If you remember, he told them that I'm going to give your descendants this land, but it's going to be hundreds of years. There's a whole bunch of other stuff going on in the world first. It'll be hundreds of years, and sure enough, that's what happens. Abraham's grandson and his family moved to Egypt. There's about 70 or 80 of them, and they live in Egypt for 400 years. They become millions of people, and as often happens in countries, the folks who lived there originally look at another ethnic group that lives in their country and get suspicious and worried. The Egyptians enslave them. They try and kill them. They do all sorts of things. God sends a man named Moses in Moses, if you and if you've ever seen the Ten Commandments or watched the Prince of Egypt or any of those, well, you know this this incredible story, this battle between Moses and the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, this battle between God and the Egyptian gods, where God literally rains down fire at one point, a hail storms on Egypt. There's darkness, there's frogs, there's gnats. You know, you, you know that joke about you know plagues of biblical proportions. Well, that's that's where it comes from. Ten plagues that eventually then, they don't just let the Israelites go, they force them out because everyone's afraid they're going to die. If these guys stay here any longer, their God's going to kill all of us. And so they leave and they travel for a couple weeks and then we get Exodus 19. They come to Mount Sinai. And so we're going to pick up the story in Exodus 19 where they are at Mount Sinai and God calls Moses And he tells Moses what's going to happen. So start reading with me in verse 10 of chapter 19 of Exodus. The Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. Because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. 
They're to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. And so Moses goes down and he tells this to the people. And and do you see, God is going to come back and meet people again. They've been separated because of Adam's sin, and now God is beginning this process of re-engaging with them. But you can't get too close. If you get too close, you're gonna die. And so flip over to the next page. This should be really familiar to you. If you've got a Bible that has headings, mine says the 10 commandments. God shows up and he gives his commandments. And in fact, chapters 20, 21, again, if you've got headings, my headings are the 10 commandments, rules about altars, rules about servants, personal injuries, rules about property. And he gives a bunch of laws. Now, if you have a Bible reading plan and you've read the Old Testament, right, you know there are books and books of laws. He just gives four chapters, 20, 21, 22, and 23. These are all laws. It's a covenant. He's doing the same thing he did with Abraham, only he's being a lot more specific. He said, I'm going to come down and talk to you. Here's what's going on. If if we're going to get back together, if there's going to be reconciliation, here's what it's going to look like. Here's what's expected of you. Now, Pick up in chapter 24, flip over to 24, and start. we're going to start reading there. The Lord said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, those are, Aaron has four sons, those are his two older sons, and 70 of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance, but Moses alone is to worship the Lord, and others must not come near, and the people may not come up with you. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and he built an altar at the foot of the mountain and he set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood, put it in bowls, and the other half he splashed against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and he read it to the people. And they responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So Moses takes those four chapters of rules that God gives you. If you're gonna be my people, if I'm gonna be your God, here's what it's gonna look like. Here's what you need to do. He writes it all down. He says it to everybody. They have a big ceremony. There's some sacrifices. There's blood on the altar. There's sprinkling. And what are the people saying? Yes. Yes, we'll do it. They're undoing what Adam did. Adam and Eve said, no, we won't obey. Right? And the people are saying, yes. Yes, we will obey. We want to be your people. We want to be in this covenant. And then, okay, just keep flipping. Right? So if you go to chapter 25, so what happens? Did you notice, like I always thought as a kid watching the Ten Commandments that Moses goes up on the mountain and everything happens and Moses goes down. The guy goes up and down like a dozen times. He's 80 years old. You'd think God would have built an escalator for him or something. He goes up, God says, tell him this. He's like, okay. He goes back down. God said to do this. They're like, yes, we'll do it. He goes back up. They said they'll do it. Excellent, tell them to get ready. I'll be here in two days. He runs back down. Good, he's happy he'll be here in two days. Tell him we'll be ready. He runs. It's just up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down. Same thing here. Now he goes back up. And if, again, if you have headers, your header on chapter 27, 26 will say the tabernacle. Like God 
is now going to give instructions for what it's going to look like for them to be together. I'm sorry, not 25, not 26. He's going to give instructions on the tabernacle. So I'm reading from chapter 25, starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You're to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. These are the offerings you're to receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and five li fine linen, goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, and other types of durable leather, Acadia wood, olive oil for the lights, spice for the anointing oil and the fragrant incense, onyx stones, and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastplate. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle, and tabernacle just means tent. Not, not a tent like we camp in, a tent you live in, like, you know, Lawrence of Arabia, Bedouins out in the desert, that kind of tent. Have them make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. So since Adam, and again, we have no idea how far back that is, but it's thousands of years. Since Adam, God has never dwelt with men. He can't. He never dwelt with Abraham. He showed up. He talked to them. Do you remember when Abraham made, does his, the covenant and sets all the things out? God doesn't show up as a person and walk through. It's a flaming torch. It's a pot on burning coals. It's fire and light. God doesn't dwell with people. That hasn't happened. And he's saying now, okay, you guys have agreed. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. You're going to obey me. I'm going to protect you. Like we've made this agreement. So now I'm going to come and dwell with you again. And, and if you follow along through the headings in your Bible, the very first one I have starting in verse 10 is the ark. The very first thing God says to make is an ark, which is a box. Very fancy Bible name for a box. Um, he says, make an ark, two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide, a cubit and a half high, a cubit's about 18 inches, all right? So it's a box that's about four feet by two feet by two feet. Line it with gold, all these things. Verse 17, make an atonement cover of pure gold. And he tells again, how big? Make two cherubim out of hammered gold, one cherubim at one end, the other cherubim at the other. Make them one piece with the cover at the ends. The cherubim are to have their wings spread forward, overshadowing the cover. This looks a lot like a throne. If you've seen pictures of thrones from ancient Egypt, ancient Hittite, Mesopotamia, those kind of things, they have these crazy looking beings on the sides of the throne. They're protecting the king. God says, put the cards, verse 21, put the cover on top of the ark, put in the ark the tablets of the covenant law that I'll give you. There, above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the covenant law, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. So God's saying, make me a throne. And I'm going to sit there and talk to you like a king would. We're going to dwell together again. And so if you just go on through in Exodus, it's all the things that they need to make for this tabernacle. Make this ark where God is going to sit. Make a table. Make a lampstand. In verse 26, he actually gives all the dimensions for the actual tent. It's about 45 feet by 15 feet. And make the tent. Make the altar, make the courtyard, the tent. The tent is 45 by 15, but it's got 150 feet by 75 feet fence around it that you're not allowed to come in there unless you're a priest. You're not allowed to get any closer to it if you're just the people, but you can get that close. 
God is gonna dwell among them. The oil, then in verse 28, we start with all the priestly garments. This is what they have to wear. It turns out it's not enough just to have the building for God. The people who come before him, they also have to wear special clothes. And so he goes through and tells them. My personal favorite is in, in if you start in verse 31 of chapter 28, he says, make a robe of the ephod and blue cloth. Look at the end of this paragraph in verse 35. Aaron must wear this robe when he ministers. It's got little gold bells on the bottom. The sound of the bells will be heard when he enters the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out so he will not die. Aaron has to wear bells so it's like he doesn't surprise God. He doesn't walk in on God's throne room unannounced. You've got to be able to hear him coming. And if he doesn't, God says, he will die. Look up at verse 45. I mean, all of these, these, all these garments you have to wear make linen undergarments as covering for the body, reaching from the waist to the thigh. Aaron and his sons must wear them whenever they enter the tent of meeting or approach the altar to minister in the holy place so that they will not incur guilt and die. You gotta have special underwear. I mean, you gotta have special everything. God is going to dwell among people. But wow, is it gonna take some work. You gotta have a special building with special furnishings made out of special materials. You gotta have special people who wear special clothes. Chapter 29, as we keep going, consecrate the priests. So it's not even enough that you have the special people wearing the special clothes. You have to consecrate them. There has to be a ceremony. Look at what you have to do. I'm not gonna read it all the way through, but he says in verse five, take the garments and dress Aaron with the tunic, the robe, the ephod, the ephod itself, the breastplate, fasten the ephod on him with its skillfully woven waistband, put the turban on him, all the way down. Then you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. Verse 10, you gotta sacrifice a bull. You gotta sacrifice two rams. You gotta take a bunch of bread and food and you gotta do that every day for a week. Every day you sacrifice a bunch of animals so that Aaron and his two sons, it's just three guys at this point, so that these three guys can come into God's presence on behalf of the people, because as it says over and over and over again, so that he won't die, so that he won't die. Because if you come into God's presence unannounced, if man and God get together, it's not good. At one point, Moses will say to God, show me your glory, and God will say, you have no idea what you're asking. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Um, there's this big mountain you stand on this side of the mountain and I'll pass on this side of the mountain. And I think that will be enough not to kill you. I think. No. You cannot. People, sinful people, the, the sons and daughters of Adam, we cannot get near God. You will die. And so God goes to all of this trouble. And again, it keeps going. Chapter 30, the altar of incense, atonement money, the basin, anointing oil, incense. Chapter 31, I think this is really kind of God. He doesn't just tell Moses, make sure you do it right. He says, hey, find these two guys because I'm going to give them what they need to make this. I'm gonna, literally, he says, I'm gonna give them my spirit so that they will know how to do the things I want them to do. God's like, you gotta make this right or people will die. 
but here, go get these guys. I will supernaturally make sure they do it right. So God has given all these rules. They've made a covenant together. I will be your God. You will be my people. This is what I'm expecting of you. This is what you're expecting of me. Everyone's like, yes, yes, great. We're going to build a tent so I can live among you again. Haven't been able to do that since Adam. God will live among the people. Moses goes up, gets everything, comes back down. What's the very next story in chapter 32? The very next thing that happens when the people saw that Moses was so long and coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. Moses was gone 40 days. In a month, they have reneged on their covenant. What's the very first of the 10 commandments? I am the Lord God who brought you out of Egypt. You will have no other gods but me. What's number two? The second thing they promised. You will not make idols, images. You won't make carvings, not of people, not of animals, not of nature. Uh, you, cannot, you cannot express and worship me with a carving. Okay? That's laws one and two. What is the very first thing they do within a month? Yeah, make us gods. Make us images. We need idols. They make a covenant with God, and then it'll last a month before they've done exactly what Adam and Eve did. They've broken it. They've broken their end of the bargain. And God comes back, and Moses comes back, and Moses is like, this is bad? God's like, yes, yes, this is bad. And Moses pleads with God not to do anything to them, and God agrees, says, I am, there are some people I need to punish, uh, but, but all right, I, I, will not just, I, will not, I will not do what justice demands which is wipe them out. You promised, you've broken your word, we're done here. And so you just, if you keep flipping through Exodus, we get back again in chapter 36 to those two guys and the materials for the tabernacle and they build it. Chapter 36, chapter 37, chapter 38, you go through there and, and it's all a repeat of what was said before, but now it's not build the tabernacle this long, build it 45 feet by 15 feet. It's, they built it 45 feet by 15 feet. Build an altar this big, they built it this big. Build an altar out of these materials, they built an altar out of these materials. The tabernacle, the ark. If you keep flipping through Exodus, the table, the lampstands, the altar of burnt offering, the altar of incense, the courtyard, the basin, the priestly garments, they put them on there. You go all the way through all of that till you get to the end of Exodus when finally Moses inspects the temple. Look at the end of chapter 39, verse 42. The Israelites had done all the work just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses inspected the work and saw that they had done it just as the Lord had commanded. So Moses blessed them. It's like Abraham, right? He obeys, he doesn't obey. He obeys, he doesn't obey. The people of Israel are doing the same thing. Yes, absolutely, we want God to be our people. What, who is this Moses guy? What are we gonna do? Yes, we'll build it just like we said. Everything, it's happening just like Abraham, except it's happening with this whole people when God has said, I'm gonna dwell with you. But notice how Exodus ends. Go down, Moses goes through, all the way, does, sets up everything in the tabernacle, just like God said, the end of the chapter, verse 34 then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it 
And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So in spite of all that, in spite of all the yes, we will, well, no, actually we won't. Oh, we'll definitely obey. Well, unless of course we won't. And it'll, you know, a month, that's a long time. And all of that, they, they do what God said. They build the tabernacle and God, God dwells there. His glory, he comes in anyway. In spite of everything else that's gone on, he comes in and he sits, he takes his throne there in the tabernacle. When Moses built the tabernacle, it's just a big, it's just a big rectangular tent but he tells them to put a curtain about two thirds of the way down. So there's about 30 feet and then there's 15 feet. And in that 15 feet, the only thing that's in there is the ark, God's throne. And that's where it says, God sits there. When Moses talks to God, you hear the voice coming through that curtain. We'll talk about when you can go behind the curtain. We'll get to that in a minute. But God, imagine like coming to church and there's a big curtain and you can hear God talking on the other side, t- telling you what to do. Like God is dwelling with men. I mean, again, you know, the people are like this, but wow, does Exodus end on a high note. God takes his seat on his throne in the tabernacle. He is dwelling with men. And so Leviticus comes from Levite, the, the, the priests. Leviticus is the book of the priests. And so that's what it starts with. Here's all the offerings the priests need to offer. So again, if you've got headers, chapter one is the burnt offering, chapter two is the grain offering, chapter three is the fellowship offering. Chapter four is the sin offering, right? We just go through, here's all the offerings. These are all the things that the priests have to do. These are the offerings they need to give. Then in chapter eight, they ordain Aaron, just like God said to do. They take the bulls, they spend a week, they do the blood, they do the whole nine things. And so it says at the end of chapter, 30, uh, chapter eight in verse 36, Aaron and his sons did everything the Lord commanded through Moses. And so the heading for me in, verse, in chapter nine is the priests begin their ministry, right? And again, flip to the end of that chapter. Look at the end of chapter nine, starting in verse 22. Aaron lifted his hands towards the people and blessed them. And having sacrificed the sin offering, the burnt offering, the fellowship offering, all the stuff that he just told us, this is what the priest should be doing, Aaron's doing it, he stepped down. Moses and Aaron then went in the tent of meeting and when they came out, they blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted with joy and fell face down. Like God's right there. He's responding. They're making, can can you, again, can you imagine? They're making a sacrifice. They they kill the bull, they cut up, they, they lay the pieces down. Now, most of the sacrifice is for the priests to eat. Like what you actually burn up is the entrails and the fat. You've got the bull on the altar and fire comes out from behind that curtain and it burns up the entrails, and it burns up the fat. And I don't know, maybe it cooks the rest of the meat, or maybe not. But it does exactly what God said you needed to do. Like, he's right there. He's right behind that curtain. You you do what he says, and you see it. And of course, everybody's just like, yes! And they're falling down, and they're cheering. And the, the presence of God is dwelling right there with his people. And what's the very next story? Chapter 10. Again, I mean, this is literally the next sentence in the Hebrew Bible. 
Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, so these are two older, he's got four sons, these are the two older ones, took their censers, and that's a metal pot with a big long metal rail, a big long metal handle on it. You take coals from the altar where the sacrifices, you put them in the, the pot, and then you put incense on them. That's how they burn incense. That's how they make the incense smell. So, and, and you do that a ways off. We'll see why in a minute. They took their censers, put fire in them, added incense, and they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. So, like, again, is it, is it yesterday? Is it a week ago? We don't know. There, there, it's literally the next sentence in the Hebrew Bible. There, there are no paragraph, there, there's no chapter markings or anything originally. It's just, it's just written. Fire comes out and consumes the sacrifice and everyone shouts with joy. And the very next sentence is fire comes out from behind that curtain and it burns up two young men who are messing around. Like, oh, wow, that was cool. I mean, we don't know what's going on in their right. Moses will, after this, tell, a God will say to Moses, um, tell Aaron and his sons that they probably shouldn't drink before they come into my presence. They'll do stupid things. So they may, be, they may have been drunk, um, but these two kids are like, oh, wow, did you see that? Look what we can do. Look what dad did. Let's go, hey, the God behind there, we can make him dance. We can make him do all sorts of stuff. Let's fill our sensors and, and do our thing. And Do you remember when Adam sins? Like God tells Adam, when you eat from that tree, you're going to die. And he does it. He eats from it. And God comes to the snake who tricked Eve, and he curses the snake for deceiving Eve. And he comes to Eve and he curses Eve for being tricked, for listening to the snake instead of listening to him, right? And then he comes to Adam and you know what's gonna happen. He's like, the snake, cursed are you. To Eve, cursed are you. You know what he's gonna say to Adam, cursed are you. And Adam's gonna drop dead because that's what God happened. And remember, that's not what God said. Cursed are you for deceiving her. Cursed are you for believing him. Cursed is the ground. Remember I told you one commentator, you know, it's like the guy's got a gun and he goes, Cursed is the ground because of you. The people were like, yes, we'll obey. Moses goes off. A month later, the people come to Aaron, Moses' brother, who's number two. He's the second in charge. Like, look, we don't know where your brother is or what happened. He's gone. We need some gods. We can't just be wandering out here. We need protection. We need some gods. And Aaron says, okay. Moses will ask Aaron later, what were you thinking? And he, this is his literal excuse. I don't know. I just threw the gold in the fire and the giant calf came out. Yeah, right. Aaron deserves to die. Aaron made that oath as well. Yes, we will obey everything. I will be the priest. Aaron deserves to die. Who dies? A bull, a ram, a ram a goat, a sheep, every morning and every night a lamb dies. Every day. You don't get, you don't get Sabbath. The, lamb, the lambs that die, they don't get the Sabbath off. Every single morning you kill a lamb. 
And every single night, Aaron and his sons, they do this every morning and they do this every night because they don't die, the lamb does. Just like, just like Adam. Adam didn't die. Adam didn't get cursed. The ground got cursed. Aaron, Aaron does it wrong. He doesn't die. A lamb dies in his place. And his sons come and they approach God. And there's no lamb in their place. And they die. That same fire that comes out and consumes the bull in place of Aaron and his sons that consumes the goats and the lambs and the rams and all the animals down throughout the history of this culture that will be killed in place of the people. There's nothing there for them. And so that fire comes out and it consumes them as well. Flip over to Leviticus chapter 16. This is actually the next thing that happens chronologically. Not in the story, I've told you, you know, they, they, they loop around and that sort of thing. But in chapter 16, the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover the ark or else he will die. For I will appear in the cloud above the atonement cover. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. And he goes on and tells him, you put on all your, you take a bath, you put on all your clothes, you get everything ready, you get a bull, you get two goats, you get incense. Before you go through that curtain that separates me from you, you take your incense, your censer that's got that pot with the coals and it's making all this incense and you've got a big long handle and you stick that through the, through the curtain. So there's a cloud of incense and I don't see you, quote unquote. You put a big cloud of incense between me and you. Then you, you sacrifice that bull outside. You come into the curtain, you put the bull blood on the throne, on the, the ark, and then you get out. And you sacrifice the goat. And you do the same thing. You get everything ready. You get the blood. You go in through that curtain. You use the blood and you get out. Because you can't just show up in front of me. Or you're going to die. God is dwelling among his people again. But nobody can see him. And nobody can come near him. And one guy once a year can for a few moments go through that curtain, be in God's presence, and then get out again. And the first thing you do is make a big incense cloud. Because if you walk in there and it's just you, bad things are going to happen. You do the incense, then you do the bull's blood, then you do the goat's blood. And then you go back out and you sacrifice another bull and another goat for, for yourself. And, and the, the first bull, that's just for Aaron. That's for Aaron's sin. God curses the ground, not Adam. We kill the bull so Aaron doesn't die when he goes in. The goat, you kill the goat for the people. For everybody who's, no way are they going to go back there. They will definitely die. God dwells with people. But wow, anybody remember the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe? You know, the Christ figure Aslan is a lion. And at one point, one of the kids like, are you crazy? I'm going to go meet a lion? I mean, is he a tame lion? Is he a safe lion? 
And the giant anthropomorphic beaver that she's talking to says to her, no, he's not safe, he's a lion. But he's good. God's not safe, he's not tame. Don't just show up. But he's good. Now, that's where they stand. That, that, that's what it means to be God's people, is to have his presence in a tent in the middle of your camp, but wow, you had better not get too close. And that will continue for hundreds of years until David comes along and is like, I live in a house and God lives in a tent. That doesn't seem fair to me. His son Solomon will build a temple, which is just a replica of the tent made out of stone and bronze and things, but it's the same thing. It's got the big room and then it's got the little half-size room and in that room is the ark and you don't go in there and there's a big curtain between it, right? That curtain, a guy named Herod, the temple will be destroyed. You know, you've read your Bible, the Babylonians destroy it, it gets rebuilt. Guy named Herod, 50, 60 years before Jesus, he will spend a lot of money redoing the temple it's because he's gonna name it after himself, Herod's temple. You know, Solomon's temple, now it's Herod's temple. He will rebuild that curtain. It will be 18 inches thick. He will demonstrate, like we, we, have, we have an eyewitness account of this, a guy named Josephus. He will demonstrate the strength of that curtain by hanging it up outside and tying a chariot team of horses, so four horses and a chariot to one end of it, four horses and a chariot to the other, and say, go, and both those chariots will take off, and it will be like Snoopy, with, you know, when he runs and he's on the leash and he's just like jerked up like that, those chariots will take off and they will hit the end of their rope and the horses will just be thrown backwards. That curtain won't move. It's 18 inches of fabric. Okay? Now, flip to the book of Matthew. And we could flip to Mark. We could flip to Luke. I mean, they all record this. It's really really significant. Matthew chapter 27. Jesus, it's the, again, if you've got headers, it's the death of Jesus. Verse 50. When Jesus had cried out in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Verse 51. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That 18 inches of fabric that you didn't go in. Once a year, one guy went in first with a big mess of incense, an incense cloud to hide him, then with the blood of a ram, then with the blood of a goat. It's like somebody reached down with giant hands, grabbed it, and went, just ripped it apart. Why? Keep flipping. Go to Hebrews chapter 9. The first covenant. It had regulations for worship. It had an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand and the table and the consecrated bread, and we call this the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden ark, altar of incense and the gold-covered ark of the covenant. This ark contained the jar of manna, Aaron's staff that budded, the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of the glory overshadowing the atonement cover. We don't have time to discuss those things in detail now, but you know where they come from. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry, but only the high priest entered the inner room and only once a year and never without blood. 
which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the consciences of the worship. The worshiper, they're only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings. They're external regulations applying until the time of the new order. But when Christ came as the high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, it's not a part of this creation. He didn't enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus attaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls, the ashes of heifers sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is a mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. In the case of a will, it's necessary to prove the death of the one who made it because a will is in force only when someone has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it's living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, branches of hyssop, and he sprinkled the scroll in all the people. We read that. He said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremony. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest has to enter the most holy place every year with blood that's not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have to suffer many times since the creation of the world. He has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as people are destined to die once and after that face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. He will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. God curses Adam instead of the ground instead of Adam. It's not fair, but he does it because he knows there will be justice in the end. God can kill a ram. Fire can come out and consume a goat instead of Aaron because God knows there will be justice in the end. That one day, the perfect sacrifice will show up. And God didn't curse the ground and God didn't kill a lamb. Jesus died. And when he died, that 18 inches of fabric that you didn't dare go through, it just ripped wide open. Because God doesn't have to hide from people anymore to protect us. God doesn't have to hide away so that we'll be safe and okay. God can dwell with people again because Jesus has dealt with our sin once for all. He's not coming back next year to do it again. The writer of Hebrews says that these are illustrations that they're supposed to teach us. We're supposed to understand the tabernacle, all of that. It was so when Jesus came, we'd all go, 
oh, that's it. When that curtain that separated God from man, top to bottom, just ripped apart. I think God had been waiting thousands of years to do that. That there's no longer any barrier between him and between us because of what Jesus did. And all you have to do is ask for it. It's a free gift. You just have to say, yes, yes, please, I need that. You're right. I I, I have messed up. I deserve to be punished. You were punished in my place. Thank you. That's all we do. We call this a worship service. Wow, I hope you get that. (laughs) I hope you get why we are worshiping God when we come together. What he has done. Because it's all him. Every time it turns to us, we fail. Okay, here's the covenant. You do this, I'll do this, we'll be good. We don't keep our end. Okay, I'll dwell among you in the tabernacle and and then this is how you'll bring the sacrifice. We don't do it. When it's up to us, we never do it. And so he does it himself. So, wow, I'm gonna pray for us. I mean, the only application out of all this is awe and worship and gratitude. So I'm gonna pray. We're gonna take communion and be grateful. We're gonna sing and be grateful. So pray with me. Jesus, thank you. Oh my goodness, thank you. I mean, you, you, you make agreements with us and we break them. And you make agreements with us and we break them. We, we, we do that over and over and over again. So you deal with it yourself. You made a way to come and live among us and wow, we couldn't do it. You had to protect us from you or we would die. Thank you, Jesus, that you have done that, that you you have taken that, that the the fire that leapt out and consumed Aaron's sons for their sin, that you have taken all that for us. We, we, We don't worry about that fire and we don't need to offer a bull in our place. Thank you. Oh Lord, we are so, so grateful for what you have done. Jesus, as we worship together, as we take the bread and take the cup, as we sing again, ah, Lord, meet us in this. We we truly worship you. We are truly grateful for what you have done. We pray all this in your name. Amen.